Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So here's the scene we are, are looking at today in Acts 26. We're, we're going through the book of Acts by the Spirit for the world, right? And so Acts 26, picture Marine One coming down in, in before, uh, before a large crowd and the president coming out and the pomp and, and circumstance that would go and accompany that. Well, that, that, that's sort of the setting here, right? Where we've got Festus, the governor of Judea, and we have King Agrippa, King Agrippa II, right? And then his half-sister, Bernice, and they're all coming in, the king of Judea. And so as he's coming in, uh, you know, there's pomp and circumstance. He's in, in a chariot. Uh, he has four tribunes. So think his, his, his uh, generals of his army are there. And then other people in the, in the army, other soldiers are there. And then the townspeople are looking in and, and trying to get a peek as the king is coming into their community. Children up on their daddy's shoulders. Ah, can you see them? Can you see them? That is what's happening here as King Agrippa is in Caesarea to hear the Apostle Paul. Festus, the governor, was new on the job, new to Judea. And when he got there, quickly, as he got to Judea, he went from Caesarea, which is on the Mediterranean coast, went over to Jerusalem to learn about, hey, what's going on? I'm, I'm try, trying to get up to speed with current events here. And they quickly let him know, the Jews there let him know, oh, let me tell you about that guy, Paul. He's a real troublemaker. And they make up all kinds of hogwash about him. None of it's true. It's dismissed. The previous governor knew, governor knew it wasn't true. But because he was trying to uh, get in good with the Jews of the land and the Jewish leaders, he didn't do anything except keep Paul in prison. Paul's been in prison for a couple years. And now Festus comes in. He hears about this guy, Paul. He's learning what's, what's going on. All right, he hears from Paul and the charges that the Jews bring. Uh, he's violating our temple. Uh, he's breaking our, our Jewish laws. He's even a, a, a threat to peace and civility in, in this nation. You, you should do something about it. Kill him. That's what you should do. And he's like, I, just, I don't see it. So he brings in King Agrippa to help him out. King Agrippa was someone who had been in the land. He's kind of a, a puppet king, if you will. He's under Caesar. But he is the king of that uh, area of Judea and up into Syria if even. King Agrippa, someone who is well-versed in Jewish theology and religion. So he knows what, what's going on. And the reason why Festus brings King Agrippa in is because the Apostle Paul had appealed to Caesar. What this means is this, that the Apostle Paul was a citizen of Rome, a Roman citizen, so he had the rights when he felt like a trial was going sideways. 
when he felt like something was unfair, he had the right to appeal to the highest court in the land, if you will, in the empire, to Caesar himself, the emperor. And so Festus was like, well, I can't do it. All right, he, he, he wants to go to Caesar. That's fine. I probably should like write something so I don't look like I'm completely in over my head. Write something. Well, why am I sending this guy to the emperor? Because if I don't, uh, it's going to look pretty bad. So he brings in King Agrippa. Help me out. Listen to, to Paul. And maybe we can figure out what's going on here. And so Paul is before King Agrippa and Festus and this whole crowd. He's shackled. He's a prisoner. And he's making his defense. And what does Paul do? Well, he lays out his personal testimony. He shares with Festus and with King Agrippa, how he himself wasn't always a Christian. In fact, he was very much not a Christian, against Christianity. He was a Jew, a Pharisee, a Jew of Jews, a strictest, most conservative Jew. And so he wanted to stop Christianity, squash Christianity, kill Christians, to the point that he was so passionate about doing this in the name of God, he, he, he would do it. He was so passionate that he was in Jerusalem, rooting people out. And he was even going, in his rage, he was going from town to town, into people's homes, to drag out the Christians. I mean, think about this. There, there weren't Christian churches like this at that time. Knock, knock, knock on your door. Who is it? Oh, it's just Saul and his, his buddies. Ah, right? That, and that was his story. And as he was going to one of those towns, up to Damascus, he has a vision. What we refer to as his conversion. This is actually the third time in the book of Acts. So in, in chapters 9, 22, and now today in 26, the third time we hear about Paul's conversion. The first time was when Luke was just telling us about it, the event itself. Second time was in his trial before the Jewish leaders. And now, here he is between, before the king and the governor, fulfilling the prophecies of Jesus that Jesus' followers would stand before kings and governors to bear witness. And he talks about how as he's going on his way, on the road, he hears the voice from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Of course, it was the Lord Jesus. And sp something specific that comes out in this instance that doesn't come out in the other two accounts of his conversion is this statement. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you 
to kick against the goads. The only place that that said is Acts 26. So what does that mean? Anyone use that phrase, kick against the goads this week? Probably not. All right, so what is a goad? Well, a goad would have been something like this. Uh, a spear, a prod, maybe, is, is another way that, to think of it. It would it'd be used by someone who is driving oxen or, or cattle as they're plowing the fields. And it says X95. That's wrong, okay? I, I, I like the image. That's the wrong verse. <laughs> that is not in X95. It's in X26. So, uh, But you get the, the point, though, that you know the oxen, they're a beast of burden. They're, they're plowing the field. They're getting tired. Uh, they kind of want to do their own thing, go their own way. And so... They're goaded a little bit, just poked, just pricked a little bit to keep them moving forward, to keep them on task. Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the goads? What's kicking against the goads? Well, it's when you think of an animal, and this was a common phrase in first century Judea, but when they get pricked and they don't like it, then they start to buck a little bit and resist it. So Jesus' whole word to the Apostle Paul is, why? Why are you kicking against the goats? Now, now what are the goats? I mean, we get the metaphor. What is the goad that the Lord is using to prick Saul, to point him in the right direction? I would say it's the word of God. Think, think about this. Saul, as he was known at that time, was in Jerusalem. He had been exposed to Christianity enough to at least know he wanted to stop it. And we know for a fact, the book records for us that as Stephen the first Christian martyr, is Stephen was being stoned to death for his faith. What, what had Stephen been doing right before he was stoned? Any ideas? Preaching. Preaching Jesus. Showing how Jesus was the fulfillment of the Messiah, Messianic prophecies from the Old Testament. And so, as Stephen was being murdered... Who's standing in the background holding the coats of the men who are throwing the stones at Stephen? Saul. Saul had heard the word. He had heard Stephen's sermon. Maybe he had heard Peter's sermon years before that. He knew what was being proclaimed. The Lord was goading him. And he kept kicking against the goads. How often can we kick against the goads? Resist God's word when we're pregnant. One of the things that the ladies in our church have been studying these past few months is a book called uh, Being a Mary in a Martha World. Right? 
And you might know the story that Jesus has told him, or I'm sorry, that that is told about Jesus. Jesus was coming to visit two sisters, Mary and Martha, and as he's coming, Martha is busy, 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 preparing the way for Jesus to come. And then Mary, her sister, was just sitting there listening to Jesus as Jesus was teaching. And Martha was so mad. Hey, Jesus, say something to her. Tell her to help. Jesus' words, Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, but only one thing is necessary. It was, in a sense, Voting, Martha, a little bit, and, and I've I've heard people talk about that, um, and, and almost take Martha's side. Well, I get it. Why Martha? Yeah, she was busy. She had food to cook and dishes to do, and you, can you blame her? I was like, all right. I mean, just know. Who are you arguing with here? <laughs> it's Jesus. So you might not want to kick against the goats in that case. You might want to rest and take, take in God's word. I mean, that, it goes back to that commandment. Honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. Receiving God's word. There is a time to simply sit at the feet of Jesus and listen. Or uh, another commandment we could go to quickly would be, Honor thy father and mother, right? Um, let's think of the other commandments that are alongside, right after honor thy father and thy mother. Um, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? Here's my point. I don't think that that commandment, honor thy father and mother, is directed at your toddler, <laughs> See, you should be listening to me when I tell you it's bedtime, when I tell you it's time to take a nap, when I tell you it's time to pick up. Honor your mother and father. Uh, who, who are the Ten Commandments? Who's the primary audience there? Well, who, where does murder and adultery come in? It's adults. It's, it's me. When, and when honor thy father and thy mother is, is written and spoken... It's talking to 41-year-olds listening to their adult parents. It's, and that's different, right? Uh, at least to me, it puts a different spin on honoring your mother and father. So for me, it's Larry Sr. I'm a junior. <laughs> it's honoring Larry Sr. and Monica. Even when I disagree with them, even when I'm passionate in my disagreement. What does it look like to honor them? Or another instance I can think of a, a Bible study that I was leading, I don't know, almost a decade ago, a while back. And we got into a, an issue. Specific issue doesn't really matter, but we got into an issue that one gentleman was extremely passionate about like ragey type passionate, angry, awkward, where like the whole room started like, eh, this is uncomfortable right now. As he's going off about the, his views on this particular 
issue. And at the end of Bible class, at the end of our time together, as he was kind of going his own way, I went to see him off, and his parting words to me, as he was still red in the face, I think steam was coming out of his ears. Pastor, don't mistake my passion for anger. And I didn't know what to say then. Uh, just kind of, okay. And we went our own ways. But afterwards, I knew what I should have said, right? Have you ever had that? Oh, I should have. And, and what I would have said, and what I'm going to say to you, because I couldn't say it to him, uh, was maybe don't excuse your anger by calling it mere passion. Sometimes we, we get worked up and ragey about things. Even things of God, like the Apostle Paul. And, oh, what are we doing? We, we can end up kicking against the goads of God's Word. God, he goaded the Apostle Paul, and Paul, he's converted. He tells King Agrippa, and he tells Festus about his conversion from being a Christian killer to being a Christian missionary. And how he spreads the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified for the forgiveness of sins and his resurrection from the dead. And he spreads that to the people in Damascus and then to Jerusalem, then throughout the Mediterranean. He, he's on a mission. And as the Apostle Paul is going out, talking about his, his uh, passion for the gospel and spreading the gospel, Festus pipes up and, 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 he, and, he, well, and he says this. He says, Paul, you're out of your mind. Now, I mean, that, that doesn't even capture the entire kind of emotion behind this. Like Festus, he interrupts the Apostle Paul's testimony. He essentially says, Paul, you're nuts. You got to screw loose. Your great learning has driven you mad. What are you talking about? And the Apostle Paul responds. He says, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I'm speaking true and rational words. So, what's going on here? Is this just, you're nuts. No, I'm not nuts. You're nuts. No, I'm not nuts. Okay, but no. What, what is, why, what is, why does he say this is true, this is rational? Well, because it's not just based on Paul's personal experience. Yes, his conversion was personal, and he did have a conversion experience on the road to Damascus in a vision from from heaven. But it wasn't just that. Paul in his letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, talks about how Jesus, after he was resurrected, appeared to people. 
He appeared to the apostles, and he appeared to Peter. He appeared to his brothers. He appeared to up to 500 people at one time. And everyone knows about this. Throughout the land of Judah, like, this is a common thing. This is true. This is, uh, this is rational. People are telling about this. This wasn't just me having a daydream or uh, being in the sun a little too long. This is happening throughout Judea, throughout Jerusalem. So it's true. It's rational. And then his next move, the apostle, uh, Paul says, for the king knows about this thing. The king knows... Because unlike Pond, uh, I'm sorry, unlike uh, Festus, who had just gotten there and was new to that community, Agrippa had been here for decades. He knew. When Jesus died, Agrippa was probably about eight. And he grew up kind of in the wake of the resurrection. He had seen the impact of the resurrection of Jesus on that nation. He knew what was happening, and so he says, for these, uh, so about these things I speak boldly to him. Uh, I'm, for I'm persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. Christianity is public. The resurrection is good news that's shared with everyone. Paul's defense here is, and Agrippa knows. And then he makes a really bold move. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? Now look what Paul is doing here. He, through his testimony, his defense... He's talking about his personal experience, road to Damascus conversion. He talks about how the gospel is true and rational. Look at the, at the things of this world. There are other people who will collaborate what I'm saying. And he turns to King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? The prophets, that's the Old Testament. That's the Bible. So personal experience, true and rational and the Bible. That all comes together to confirm the gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the gospel comes, whether it be a vision on the road to Damascus, whether it be your parents bringing you up as a child, reading you scriptures, whether it be right here today, as the word is being preached and read, if the Spirit is illuminating your heart, when the gospel comes, we don't just have to say, oh, it's just an emotional kind of response. No. There, there's basis. There are prophecies. There's reason. We stand here 2,000 years later listening to the Apostle Paul's words because for 2,000 years people have said, you know, I, I believe that too. And I can confirm that with my experience. For me, you know, I haven't had the road to Damascus lightning voice from, from heaven kind of thing. 
But I can say this, absolutely, that I am a worse person without Jesus. <laughs> that uh, I'll left to my own devices. I'm grumpy and angry and self-serving and not loving my wife and my kids and my church. I am just better person when the gospel, when the Holy Spirit is working in me. And, 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 and you see what's, what's happening here with the Apostle Paul, too, and this is what the gospel does. The gospel takes who you are, goads you, if you will, to go the direction of God. So Paul, he's a passionate person, religiously passionate, uh, zealous for the law. And by the goading of Jesus, he goes a different direction. Now he's passionate about Christianity, passionate about being a missionary and telling other people. So, so what are the things that you are maybe ragey about sometimes or anger, get worked up about? You realize that when the good news comes into your life and into my life, God doesn't just say, eh, stop that completely, no. He uses that to spread the gospel. I mean, think of the times where uh, I, I think of uh, alcoholics who have, have come to the Lord Jesus, and now they are in a position to minister to other addicts in a way that I, having never been an alcoholic, I've got plenty of other problems, but not that one, um, I, I could never do. God uses our, our, our hurts, our pains, our, our sins even, curbs them for his glory. Now, Agrippa picks up uh, uh, what's uh, going on here. This is the trial of Paul, right? And he realizes, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Paul, do you think in such a short time, as he's looking around, holding his scepter, crown on his head, all that, you think you're going to uh, uh, make me a Christian? Interesting that he uses the term Christian. It's apparently really taken hold at this point, little Christ. You think you're going to make me a believer? Paul's response, verse 29, uh, whether it's a short or a long time, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day, Festus, the military that's there, those who are listening in from the community, all those who hear me this day, <laughs> just so happens all those who are still hearing him 2,000 years later will become such as I am, a follower of Jesus. Uh, such as I am, except for these chains. <laughs> I love that. A little humor there. Don't want you to go, go to prison. I'm just saying, like, I want you to be like me. It's personal, the evangelism. You see, the, the Apostle Paul He's on trial here. He's defending himself. But he knows that's not the, the ultimate purpose. 
his ultimate purpose is to be a witness for Jesus. Not to just get through a trial with it without losing his head. <laughs> and that, it, that's, that's the case for us as Christians. Uh, uh, a couple years ago, I heard some discussion about uh, Mother Teresa. I'm pretty sure you're all familiar with Mother Teresa. She did a lot of work with the poor, with children in India, um, providing them an orphanage and care and, and that sort of stuff. And, you know, she's a patron saint to the Catholic Church, and uh, well, well known for being a Christian and for loving Jesus and receiving his love. And after her death, and uh, a few years after that, in India, there was a, another orphanage being started. And the person starting it uh, took a dig at Mother Teresa. How dare you? <laughs> and this is what was said. Uh, it, it's good to work for a cause with selfless intentions, but Mother Teresa's work had ulterior motive, which was to convert the person who was being served to Christianity. Now, you can poke at maybe some of the methods that Mother Teresa used and whether they were the very best for serving that community. But here's where I'm going to defend her. Here's where I take issue. This phrase, ulterior motive. By that, that, that phrase, it is insinuated that she was being deceptive. That it was a bait and switch. That people came in to get one thing and then got something else. Now, let me, let me ask. Did Mother Teresa ever hide the fact that she loved Jesus? <laughs> Here's another question. Is the Pope Catholic? <laughs> Is Mother Teresa Catholic, right? I mean, it's obvious. So you, you might not like what she believes, but to call the, her uh, you know, operating with uh, ulterior motives, I mean, that's just, it's just wrong. I would say it this way, that as Christians, we don't have an ulterior motive, but we do have an ultimate motive. So whether we're on defense, uh, on trial, defense for our life like Paul, or whether we're serving the poor, yes, we do these good things, but what's the ultimate motive for all of us? Of course, it's that people know the love of Jesus Christ and know about his resurrection, and know about his life, eternal life that he offers for all of us. May we be accused the same way that Mother Teresa was, that Paul was. Uh, and and, and let, I'll say this, may our motives never be ulterior, may it never be hidden that we're Christians, that we love Christ, that we're about the gospel. May that be front and center in, in what we think, in what we say, in what we do, so that the whole world knows whether you like Christianity or not, 
that the reason these people are doing what they're doing is because they have had an experience with the love of God that has changed them forever. Apostle Paul finishes his speech and King Agrippa and Festus talk and they recognize he could have been let go. He hasn't done anything deserving of death. But he appealed to Caesar. So to Caesar he'll go. That's where we'll pick up next week. May the peace of God which passes all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.